So please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the book of Psalms and turning to Psalm 128. Psalm 128, on page 518 in the Church Bibles. This has the heading, A Song of Ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Um, one of the things we have been highlighting uh, in our series through the, the songs of uh, ascents, uh, we have been highlighting that this collection of psalms, um, many of them have a characteristic that is embedded into the Arianic blessing. Uh, the people of God, as they thought about what does it mean to be blessed, what does it look like to have the good life, Uh, they had different ways that they could be able to meditate on what does the good life look like. But chief among them, or a a window through which they could ask that question and find an answer, was by meditating on the blessing that God would communicate uh, to the people of God in the Old Covenant. Uh, That the priest would announce the Lord's blessing. And that blessing really had four parts to it. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord be gracious unto you. The Lord give you peace. And those four ideas in that blessing uh, that the priests would pronounce on the people would help them understand what it means to be blessed. What does it look like to live the good life? And we highlighted that many of these psalms tap into one of those components Twelve of the 15 psalms will make explicit reference to one of those four aspects. And so they're really, they're really chewing over what does it look like to have the good life. And as we come to look at uh, this psalm this evening, we're still meditating on what does the good life look like. And you'll notice that in this psalm, there's the bookends that it both begins and it ends with the idea of the Lord's blessing. There in the opening verse, it is blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And at the end, there is that final component of the blessing uh, that the priests would give of God's peace. Peace be upon Israel. But all of this, uh, again, raises the question of what does the good life really look like? And people will give different answers to what, what we're striving for in this world. But this evening we want to see that uh, the blessed individual is the one who enjoys the abundance of life that comes from God. 
And because God himself is the source of blessing, and the Lord's blessing is found in Christ, that we are to cherish Jesus above all else. We want to think about this psalm in a couple of thoughts, and three thoughts, really. We want to think about the principle of what blessing looks like. We want to think about the picture that emerges in this psalm surrounding blessings. And then finally, we want to think about a prayer for blessing to be realized. Well, first, we have a principle about what does it mean to be blessed. There in verse 1, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. There are two components there, two characteristics of what it looks like to have the good life. What does it look like to be blessed? And the two aspects here are not aspects that are going to be universally embraced. Not everyone is going to agree with what is being said here. And yet the psalmist does not shy away from stating it plainly. The first characteristic is is that they fear the Lord. That the good life is one in which we acknowledge God. When you hear the word fear, uh, we might think of being afraid of something, of, of being terrified by something, and wanting to run away from that idea. But when the scriptures speak about fearing God, it's not using it primarily in the sense of being terrified or running away from God. It's using it in the sense of having great reverence for something. That when something is important to you, you, you approach it with great care. That's the idea. So when the scriptures say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's highlighting that those who prioritize God, who, who make it a point of including God in the way that they live their lives, they are those who have a great respect for God. They have a great reverence for God. They, everything comes back to a concern for God's will. That's not necessarily how everyone thinks about the good life. In fact, the opposite can be the case. Sometimes people look at believers, they look at Christians as those who are not enjoying the good life. That, that being a follower of God is actually something that's going to keep you from enjoying life. It deprives you. It, it puts all kinds of restraints on you. It, it, uh, it makes life less satisfying. But here the psalmist adamantly affirms the good life is a life that is lived with reference to God where everything centers back on God, that, that God is constantly in view. That is the good life. The flip side of fearing God is really to ignore God. And that's really what it means to be secular. To be secular is to live within the boundaries of this world without reference to God, that God will not be thought about, God will not be spoken of, that we will live and act as though God was not part of the equation. And it's to then pursue happiness without reference to God. Happiness will be found outside of that equation of God. And here the scriptures are saying that that ultimately is shallow, that that is not ultimately going to be satisfying but however we think about it, we have to begin by asking the question, what it is that we prioritize in life? Maybe the language of fearing God uh, sounds off-putting. 
but you can, you can still describe it in different ways. What it is that you prioritize. What it is that you say, this is important to me. What it is that you're greatly concerned about in life. It might be your success. It might be your career. It might be your, your family. It might be a relationship. There are, there's going to be something that you prioritize in life. You, you say to yourself by your actions, this is important. And I, I, I want to make sure that I have this. And whatever it is, you have a great reverence for it. You have a great respect for it. But here the psalmist is simply highlighting it should be God. And that every one of us inevitably affixes importance to something. But if it's not to God, then it's ultimately lending itself to idolatry. So acknowledging God does not deprive a person of satisfaction. It is actually the source of their happiness. The first principle that he highlights is the idea of acknowledging God. Everything centers back on God. But the second aspect that flows from that is, is that they walk in his ways. That is, the meaning is, is they submit to God's commands. That they live a life obeying his will. And here is one of the litmus tests for how you know whether you fear the Lord. Does his commands shape you? Are you concerned about God's will? Are you striving to live in conformity to the God who has spoken? That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. He highlights the importance of God's law. At the beginning of Psalm 119, he says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. The person who fears the Lord wants God's will to be done. And so they, they pattern their life pursuing God's ways. The, the path that they choose to walk on is the path that God has revealed to them. This is the way to go. Walk in it. So the blessed life is one in which God is acknowledged, but one in which God is not only acknowledged, but then the rubber hits the road in the sense that they say, I trust God's ways with the way that I'm going to live my life. I'm not just floating through life undiscerning. I'm making conscious choices about what God has said should direct the way that I live. That I trust God's will enough that I will submit to it. And so in the place of suspicion or resistance, uh, there will be a delight in God's ways because one has come to discover the goodness of God. So there's the principle the good life, the blessed life, a life that is fulfilling, is a life in which God is acknowledged and where we live submitting to his ways ourselves. But you notice as well uh, that this psalm really centers on the picture or pictures of blessing. The psalmist is really trying to appreciate the fact that God's blessings are to be enjoyed as we submit to his ways. In what way will they be blessed? Uh, what does it look like to be blessed? Verses 2 and 3 give us several pictures of God's blessings. And that's confirmed because when you get to verse 4, it really summarizes this whole idea. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed 
who fears the Lord. He's trying to describe God's blessings and describing the uh, satisfaction that comes by submitting to God's ways and fearing him in their lives. But as we consider these verses, we need to be cautious. Uh, We need to do so with a great qualification because it's possible for us to come to a a psalm like this and actually uh, move in a wrong direction. There are many that would uh, teach that God wants us to be healthy and wealthy and successful, that God wants to bless you materially, that God wants to bless you financially, physically, that God wants you to be successful in everything. And what they will do, these uh, religious groups, is, is that they will turn to the Bible and they will be able to take a verse from the Bible and then they will be able to take that verse and then they will make an argument, a case, on the basis of that one verse that it supports their, their teaching, their cause, that God wants you to be successful. Uh, oftentimes, they will appeal to the wisdom literature. They'll t- turn to passages like the Proverbs, where you have this one verse, and they'll just take that one verse and run with it. And so they'll appeal to passages like Proverbs 12. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. They'll turn to Proverbs 10. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. They can turn to Proverbs 15. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. And what they begin to do is they start to say, the scriptures teach right there in that verse, that God uh, will prosper your income, that God will protect you from illness. And they will say, God wants to give this thing to you, but you have to claim that promise yourself. You have to believe in it uh, for it to be realized. And if you don't see that happening in your life, then you're not really trusting in the scriptures. You're not really trusting in the Bible. But that's really to distort and to twist scripture. It's taking one verse and abusing the meaning of the whole of God's word from it. Why am I mentioning all of this? Because we can do the same thing when we come to a passage like this. The book of Proverbs is not meant to be universalized or absolutized to apply in every situation. The Proverbs are written to give us wisdom. Meaning by that, that they are written to give us insight into God's world and to help us to live wisely by applying God's truth to the various situations that we find ourselves in. And you see that in the Proverbs themselves. So when you turn to, for instance, Proverbs chapter 26, it says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. But then in the very next verse, it says, answer a fool according to his, uh, otherwise he will be wise in his own sight. And we think, well, which is it? Should I answer the fool so that he's not wise in his own eyes? Or should I not answer the fool because I don't want to become like him myself? And the Proverbs are written to say, there are many considerations that you have to think about if you're going to live wisely. You have to weigh many things in this world. And then you have to look at your situation and to say, which fits here. 
and then to respond with the totality of God's truth. Because life isn't cookie cutters where everything is neatly take this situation and then do this. Sometimes there are many things that we're thinking through and then needing great wisdom to be able to live in a way that is honoring to God. And in the same way, when we come to a passage like this this evening, the Psalms are part of the wisdom literature. And they are telling us something that is true. But that doesn't mean that they are telling us the whole of God's counsel. That they are highlighting something that is important for us to see, but it does not tell the whole story. We could turn to Psalm 128 and think that the sum of the blessed life is to prosper in one's work, to get married, and to have children. And that is the sum total of what the blessed life looks like. But Psalm 128 is not trying to say exhaustively of what the blessed life looks like. It's simply highlighting pictures of it. But when we step back and we look at the whole counsel of God, we find that it is possible to be blessed in this life and to be financially constrained, for things to be difficult for us financially. You think about Paul, who knew what it was to live wanting himself. We can turn to passages in the Bible that teach us that marriage is a good thing. But we can also turn to 1 Corinthians, where Paul tells us that a person can be blessed and single. That to be married is not to be more blessed than a person that is single. And so we have to be careful as we come to God's word that we're always thinking about what the whole counsel of God's word teaches. And not, and not distorting things by starting to think, these people are blessed because they have this lifestyle. And these people must not be blessed because they don't live that lifestyle. The purpose of these blessings here are trying to describe to us that the God who is acknowledged and feared allows us to enjoy his blessing even in this life. That the God that is acknowledged is a God who enriches our life even in the present. And so we want to come to this uh, um, psalm with that in mind. Uh, it, these are pictures of genuine blessings, but they are, they are contributing to the overall teaching of God's word about what a blessed life looks like. First, uh, the first uh, picture that is given is the picture of labor. He says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. Uh, you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. You turn to the, the book of the law in Deuteronomy. It tells us that one of the warnings the people were given is, is that if they broke God's covenant, God would bring his curses upon them. Part of the curses that God warned of was is that they would not enjoy the fruit of the land. That they would be deprived of the satisfaction of all their labor. Someone else will enjoy the labor of your hands. But here is the flip side of that. That the blessed life is one in which they enjoy the fruit of their work. They're able to enjoy uh, the labor of their hands. That uh, you see here, the blessed life is not one where we're free from work. Where we just 
avoid any sense of activity. The blessed life is one in which we are satisfied with the work that we are committed to, that we are created to be productive. That's part of being made in the image of God. Our creator is one who works, and we find satisfaction in our works as we live them uh, to the glory of God. This, uh, the blessed life, then, is not free from work, uh, but rather uh, in finding satisfaction in our work. Again, you can see how this psalm connects and bridges back to the previous psalm. In the previous psalm, it said, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. If you work, but it's not of the Lord's will, it won't succeed. It won't satisfy. It will be empty. But here's the flip side of that. When we acknowledge the Lord, our work isn't in vain. On the flip side, it is satisfying. It, it ultimately is rewarding because it's not worthless. They're able to enjoy what they have accomplished. You think of cooking. Uh, we have to feed ourselves uh, each day. We could go through our day uh, feeding our, our body simply to physically sustain life. Uh, we cook a meal and then we could wonder what are we going to eat next. But we would be missing something in the process. Because food is not just something that we consume in order to stay alive. God has made us so that when we eat, we delight in it. We can enjoy the food that we are eating. It satisfies us. And here the psalmist is saying when we work, there's satisfaction in what has been accomplished. This is good. We have devoted our energy to something that we can be satisfied with uh, as well. And so uh, the, uh, the picture here of blessing is uh, connected with work. Uh, there is a satisfaction in our work, knowing it is not in vain, but that it is something that we can enjoy in and of itself. The second picture that he gives is uh, the enrichment that comes even through marriage. In verse 3, he says, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. In the Bible, uh, the vine and the grapes, uh, the grape, uh, grapes and wine that comes from them is a symbol of refreshment and lavish enjoyment. Marriage, then, is something that is fruitful and something that enriches life. I can remember someone uh, telling the story about an individual who was in a relationship but hesitating about the idea of committing uh, in marriage. Marriage is such a, uh, a long-term uh, commitment. It, is, it has such consequences to it that the person found themselves uh, hesitant about making that commitment to get married. But eventually they came to the conclusion and the uh, willingness to get married. And the way that they got there was by reflecting on the fact that their lives, each of their lives is enriched by being together more than if they remained apart. That they found that being together enriched them. That marriage is actually something that enhances their ability to enjoy this world. 
that marriage is not just uh, a connection of two people, but it is really an enrichment of life. And if we're married this evening, that's how we should think about marriage. Rather than just operating on the assumption that we are married and taking each other for granted, we should be thankful that in God's providence, we have someone that enriches our lives. And if we're single this evening, then we can think that way about marriage. Marriage is a good thing. It is something that we can have a high view about because it is something that enriches life while at the same time recognizing that scripture says that marriage will bring worldly troubles. We don't have to think either or. We recognize that there are burdens that come in marriage, but we can also value the enrichment that comes through marriage. And that's what this psalm is celebrating. That the blessed life is one in which life is enriched, in which life is satisfying, where we can look back and say, this is good. And uh, that picture emerges uh, in these uh, uh, images that are being presented. So there is the enrichment that comes through labor. There is the enrichment that comes through marriage. There's also the enrichment that comes through children. In the second half of verse 3, he says, your children will be like olive shoots around uh, the table. Uh, Uh, One commentator uh, puts it this way. He says, olive trees take a long time to mature and to become profitable. Patiently cultivated, they have become quite valuable and continue to produce a profitable crop for centuries. Longer, perhaps, than any other fruit-producing tree or plant. The interesting thing about these two images, the vines and the olive plant, is is that they are both symbols of abundant life. So rather than thinking about children as simply a burden, uh, as is commonly done uh, via the media, or being afraid of the prospect of having children uh, because of the state of the world and the uncertainty of uh, the world and the uncertainty of the future, we can affirm what scripture says, that children are a good thing. And that they are also something that help uh, to be not only a source of joy, but a means of shaping the future. The imagery of the vines and the olives uh, then express a state of peace and of prosperity. But it is also used in scripture uh, as an image even of the messianic era. A couple of prophets bear this out. The prophet Micah said in the latter days, many nations will turn to the Lord. They will beat their swords into plowshares and every man will sit under his vine. The prophet Zechariah added to this imagery when he says, in that day declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. You see, God's blessings would not only be enjoyed individually, the prophets were saying, but that it would expand, it would extend outwards, and that it would bring greater enrichment. They would come under one vine together. What is the psalm teaching us? That the blessed life comes from God, fearing the Lord, walking in his ways, living with him, at the center, 
The psalm is trying to capture that blessing by giving these temporal images. Your labor is good. You have marriage. You have children. These are things that bring enrichment. They bring satisfaction. They are something that endures. They, they have a, a longevity to them. It's not passing away. It's something that characterizes your life. And so these images are vivid because we can relate with them in this life. But those temporal blessings, those pictures, are really anticipating the greater blessings, the spiritual blessings of God in Christ. God is the source of the temporal blessings that we have, but those temporal blessings are anticipating what God would do in sending a Messiah, who would ultimately not only be the source of those blessings, but would be the blessing himself. He would be the gift of God. And that if we have him, then we are truly blessed. One uh, uh, commentator, John Mackay, uh, says, this beautiful picture of harmony uh, is designed to represent the spiritual blessings. It's not that the material blessings promised are unreal, but that they were pledges of the total inheritance that God bestows on his people. They anticipate then the spiritual blessings of salvation. It is God who is not only the source of blessing, but who is the blessing itself. And so you see how these pictures, they're not an end in of themselves, but they are what they are. They're pictures of enrichment, of satisfaction, of longevity, of how God blesses his people, even in this life, but they anticipate a greater blessing that would come. And you see that even as the psalm concludes in the last couple of verses, the last stanza, it really moves on to a prayer. The Lord bless you from Zion. Where do these blessings ultimately come from? It's from Zion. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. There's a prayer wrapped up in this uh, psalm. It's a prayer for the faithful. It's a prayer for the future. It's a prayer for God's blessing to be realized. But you notice there, the language is, the Lord bless you from Zion. Why from Zion? Because as we said, Zion, Jerusalem, is the place where they meet with their God. Jerusalem is where the temple is. Jerusalem is where the blood sacrifice is offered. Jerusalem is where peace is made with God. And so as the psalmist here says, the Lord bless you from Zion, he's highlighting that their hope ultimately comes from being reconciled with their God. It is an encounter with the living God that is realized from Jerusalem. But as mentioned earlier, the writer of Hebrews teaches us something greater. The writer of Hebrews explains that we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus is one who brings a better covenant, the forgiveness of sins. If we have come to Jesus, then we have come to the very 
embodiment of God's blessings. To be pardoned of our sins. To find enrichment. Because those of us who were dead in our sins have become alive. We find satisfaction. Rather than clinging to the things that are passing between our fingers in this life. We take hold of something that is eternal. Life in God. That we have longevity uh, with that relationship of that union with our God and Savior. And so if we have Christ, then we are truly blessed. We read there from Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the, uh, in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to say what that is. Who has brought redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins. Who has lavished upon us these blessings. Marriage, children, labor are good things, but they're not the ultimate thing. And do you see how the scriptures actually steer us clear of avoiding two different pitfalls? One mistake that people make is is that they live their life thinking they'll be more satisfied if they free themselves from commitment. I don't want to get married. I don't want children. I don't want to be committed or uh, confined to another person. I'll be most happy if I just focus on myself. On the flip side, there are those who think they'll find most happiness ultimately through their relationships. If my family just turns out right, if I just have the perfect marriage, the perfect children, the perfect job, then I will be happy. And ultimately, the scriptures keep us from uh, both of those extremes of trying to find our happiness on the basis of our freedom from commitment or on the basis of our social status through our relational commitments. We can have peace with God and we can live with satisfaction that knows God's grace towards us in Christ Jesus. The Lord bless you from Zion. What is the blessed life all about? It is about acknowledging the living God and of living for him. We can enjoy many good gifts from God in this life. But ultimately, it is knowing God that lasts. And whoever has Christ is blessed. We are blessed beyond measure if we are trusting in this Jesus because we have peace with our God. And so you see that this psalm ends with that prayer, uh, a prayer for the faithful. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. Do you see the progression of this psalm? Because it is progressing. It moves from the individual in the opening stanza there. That the, the one who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways, it's, it's focusing on the individual. But it, it moves, it expands outward to talking about the family in the second section. So it moves from the individual and expands out. But then it doesn't stay there. It expands from the family and it actually extends to the people of God. The Lord bless you. May the Lord's blessing be upon his people. 
And so it goes out to the prosperity of Jerusalem. Peace be upon all Israel. You see the same thing in the New Testament. Paul's writing to the churches. And Paul will write in Galatians to them that may God's peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The greater our concern, the greater our appreciation of God's goodness. The more that we see our commitment to God's purposes, the more satisfaction and enrichment we have in this life. We see what God is doing and we can find our joy in our God. We see his purposes prevailing. And so we see a prayer extending uh, towards the faithful, going beyond even the scope of the family. And that prayer then extends as well to the future. May you see your children's children, peace beyond uh, Israel. Their blessing then is not limited to the moment, but it extends to the enduring future that we long to see. So what does it mean to be blessed? It is a life lived unto God, the one who has come to discover God's grace, the the peace of God that is communicated uh, through the cross of Christ, knowing that their present life is enriched as they see God's gifts distributed according to his purposes and as they look forward to an enduring reality of God's goodness. So we can rejoice with those who rejoice as God blesses them. And we can find contentment where we are in God's providence. Realizing that if we have Christ, we have what we need. And that is a blessed life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think over uh, what it is uh, that will be satisfying, uh, we pray, Lord, that we would ultimately see that only you uh, can satisfy us that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, as we think about all the uh, joys and comforts of this life, all the commitments. uh, Help us, Lord, to be able to navigate these things with wisdom and take away our sins. For Christ's sake, amen.